folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except for extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Welcome to episode 209 of Channel Massive. I'm Noah. And I am Mark. And we are actually recording in person this time. We are, yes. We are coming to you not live from the inter intertubes via Skype, but actually from our subterranean lair. <laughs> yes. We've brushed the cobwebs aside and retaken <laughs> our precious IGL Studios studio. <laughs> Relit the Christmas lights. Yes, rekindled the fire within the lights. <laughs> uh, only a few don't work. <laughs> Seems like the blue ones and purple ones have challenges. Yeah. The other colors are doing okay. I like it. Yeah, makes it a little bit charming. And then, if I turn this light out, we can bask in the warm glow of our monitors. Ooh. I like this. Yeah, I do too. It's nice. <laughs> I've been looking forward to recording in person again for a long time, but we've had all these great guests, and usually when we have guests, if they're not in Denver, then we have to do Skype so that we can try to ensure, yeah, however feebly, the best audio quality for you, the listeners. But when we don't have guests, we can do these cool in-person shows, Yeah, at least guests that are out of town. Which not is... to say that I don't like the guests, because I freaking love them. It's true, but it's nice this way because we can see each other so we don't walk on each other and stuff yeah. like that, which is yeah. never good. And Mark is totally fun to hang out with in person, so that always is a bonus. That's right. Noah, too. Except for today when he's hungover. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not so much hungover. It's just, just tired. Just kind of, yeah, tired. And I was hungover this morning. So I had a good friend come up and visit, and uh, we made him play some bass until about midnight. <laughs> play for us! <laughs> you will play. You will entertain us. So, yeah, yeah I was thrown off because Mark didn't bust out his sixty-four ounce Jack and Coke, which yeah. I'm so used to seeing. I'm like, has something changed in the last two months? Sixty-four ounce water. Yes, you're staying super hydrated. So. Uh huh. As I get raspier and raspier and more dried yeah. out as the show goes on and wither away into a husk, yes. you will become more vital. Yes. It'd be like in, uh, what was it, Wrath of the Titans or whatever, where whenever <laughs> the gods died, they turn into sand. Yes. That's Noah's fate. Yeah, in this episode. Fate. Yes. I will collapse. And collapse in a heap of sand. Into a little heap of sand that then my cat, cat will, will probably take come. a poop in. Exactly. That was that, exactly what I was thinking, That's too. what you have in store. <laughs> I will get to be a receptacle for cat poop. Yeah. <laughs> it's everyone's dream who comes into this. <laughs> so we've got a, a nice episode coming up for you. If you didn't see our last episode until just recently, it's it went up. We recorded it. Uh, we recorded it on a different day than we normally record on. Yeah. And I had it edited really quickly, and so I posted it a lot earlier. But as it turns out, I didn't update the RSS feed until recently. So if you're one of those people, some, some of our listeners like to listen to the show on the website, and if iTunes isn't updated, 
and you're wondering, what the hell are those guys doing? Are they screwing around again? Yeah. Check our website. And if you're able to actually listen to the episode or download it from the website, you can always check there because we're still, we're, we've still been timely with the whole weekly episode stuff. That's true. Yeah. And this episode should be going up on the regular posting schedule, posting time, you know, yeah. sometime this weekend because we're recording regular. Regularly. And this will be a nice regular show. Regular. Where we're going to have an intro Yes, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking yeah. of fiber and of fiber. going smoothly. Going smoothly. <laughs> on the toilet. Without a fight. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. potty humor's never been so fun. Yeah, especially in the dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. With the cat lurking, waiting for you to turn to stand. Uh, so this episode, we were, we're going to go through... A slew of introgeddon stories. We're going to tell you what we've been playing. We've got some general geekery updates, and we have a roundtable. We're going to talk about some interesting revelations that we've received this week via the internet about Valve, because we've talked about, in I think last week's episode, if not two weeks ago, oh, yeah. Valve's like, hey, we're going to make a Unix version or Linux version of right. Steam, and, and we're just like, well, and, and that's pe- cool. And we had people complaining about how the summer of sales are killing game development and stuff. Yeah. And get game developers. And, and so we've got really games. good follow-up on all of yeah. those topics. And yeah, so. we actually put the pieces of the puzzle together tonight while working <laughs> yes. on the final touches for the show notes. So we will reveal to you our take on it. And the, I could have put stuff, I don't know if you, you probably saw this stuff too. We could have put stuff about 38 Studios in here, but we didn't. Yeah, and we are all okay out here in Denver. If you're wondering if we had any trauma with the shooting that happened in our town, yeah, last week, uh, everything's okay. It's just, of course, traumatic and depressing and angering and all those yeah. things that some of you may have felt when you heard about that story. Yeah, it is quite, um, quite angering. It's just the uh, senselessness of it all. What's interesting, and Jim, um, a former. Uh, our 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 co-host will keep on mothballs right now. <laughs> he um he and I went to the last Batman at that theater for our midnight showing. For real. For real. That exact theater. So. Wow. And you actually see that theater every day because it's near it's your work. Right by my work. Yeah. And there's this just growing shrine right now. Um, in a in an undeveloped lot of land right by there. Yeah. Um, and it's growing every day. And um, you know, Christian Bale was there. Yeah, that was really cool that he came out. Really low-key, wasn't doing it as a press-op or anything like that. He was just, actually just felt compelled to come out. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, But, uh, yeah, it is kind of depressing. My work is just right by it. So we had newscopters flying over across from us. There's this hill with all the media guys set up, and you can just see the theater right there, you know, totally... Police um, had it all taped off. I'm sure everybody's seen the pictures, but uh, it was really crazy, really senseless, and uh, um, yeah, as you say, kind of a dark day. So yeah. Um, <sighs> so we like to start the show off in an upbeat <laughs> manner, and now it'll be progressively more and more morose and somber. So yeah. Hold, hang on for a wild ride. <laughs> as we become increasingly <laughs> frivolous and despondent. <laughs> <laughs> so for our intergeddon this time around instead of looking at it as 
newspaper sections. This time we have it broken up into loose groupings of that, that describe the people that generated yeah. these stories. So do, do, do you think this order is going to be okay for us? Oh, I think so. Yeah, so I we're going to start out with whiners. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll move into futurists and then scammers. And then we have a special bonus section at the very end that we won't tell you what it is. I, I bet you can't guess it, actually. Yeah. Unless you're in the show notes with us, which according to Google Docs, you're not. Right. Yes. <laughs> what num- What color has Google Docs selected for me this evening, Noah? You are kind of a spring green. I always end up getting green. Yeah? What know. color am I? You're pink. <laughs> That's usually the color that I see everybody else yeah, in. Yeah, and it's not and like a... It's not a very good pink. It's like a really like <laughs> high on the red side pink, but it's just enough that it stands out. So Nice. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I could color your world, Mark. Yeah, very colorful. <laughs> so first up in our winer's section... This this is just a section of stories of, of people complaining about things, and <laughs> yeah. that's that's hence the whiner bit. We may or may not disagree with some of these wines. The first one coming from the Just Cause two developers, specifically one man in general, who is really he he's trying to become an industry voice against publishers demanding that every game that comes out has an elaborate DLC plan and always has to have online multiplayer integrated into it. So the folks behind Just Cause 1 and 2 are Avalanche Studios. And I've played the second one. It's really good. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think that was actually on sale during the Steam sale. If Hopefully, if, if you were thinking about getting it, you got it. It's, it's a really good game. It's a huge open-world game that's really fun on this tropical island. There's just tons and tons of play ways that you can just be creative, blow things up, and do all sorts of goofy things. Kind of like Saints Row, I guess. Yeah. But the founder, Christopher Sundberg, said, <laughs> DLC is not needed to keep players engaged if the game is well executed. We create a game allowing players to properly explore and have fun and not focusing so much on the actual end goal of the game. Fuck. What happened? Uh, it looked like the audio went out, but then it didn't. Okay. Uh-huh. We'll continue. Where was I? As most publishers and developers have run around as headless chickens the last three years looking for a way to make money, DLC was definitively a tool to try to keep players engaged. But how many games have truly been successful? Or how many games have been truly successful with DLC? Not that many. Hmm, sounds rather damning. But the funny thing is, is it's kind of hypocritical because his company did release DLC for Just Cause 2. Yeah, that's what's great about it is you have your introductory paragraph, then this bold statement, and then within about four more paragraphs, he says, of course, we like DLC (laughs) and stand by the add-ons made available for Just Cause 2 because it was the game itself that kept gamers playing, not the DLC, he said. Hmm, really? So the game itself <laughs> kept them playing the DLC that came out for the game. Uh, yeah, I I thought that was kind of funny. 
Yeah. And I, I wonder if he was asked, like, well, now that you've made this bold statement, how about your DLC that you released? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, that's that was okay. No, that's different. It, was, it wasn't really essential. People didn't continue to play our game because of the DLC. So we, in other words, wasted our time making this DLC. Well, like, what about, like, I mean, I, and I, have you started playing Dragon Age yet? No, not yet. So Dragon Age came with this really cool DLC right off, it seems like right off the get-go. Maybe it wasn't, because I bought it after it came out, but... Yeah. It was the, the stone, stone Golem. Yeah. And, you know, while that wasn't required, and it was definitely not something that you would experience after you'd played the game, it was more like just an a, a experience, um, like a side quest, side quest thing. But it gave you a character to come with you, which is really nice. Which had their own storyline, which was really fun, and and so you know, I don't, I kind of disagree. I mean, right there is a prime example of DLC. And he, I know he says, well, a few, only a few have made it work, but there's a lot of games just like that. Well, yeah, Call of Duty and Halo first-person shooters thrive off of DLC because. The multiplayer community needs fresh content to stay right. engaged and wants to have new maps, and those have been yeah. incredibly successful in spite of how expensive they are, because I feel 15 bucks for four new maps in, a, in an FPS multiplayer mode yeah. is really steep. Yeah, But they've been able to make it work, and I, 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 know, I can agree that it's a little sketchy, and Bioware is definitely guilty of this, of selling DLC that's already on the disc. Mm-hmm that's like Mass Effect 3 had that. I also believe the Stone Golem thing with Dragon Age was on the disc. Oh, okay, yeah. Anything that's launched usually right around the launch date, it's usually on the disc it's already. already. It's already ready. Just... I've seen that with like even characters in Marvel vs. Capcom, the characters oh, on the yeah, disc. Yeah, Soul yeah, Calibur yeah. had that as that's well. That's right. Um, yeah, now that I think about it, there were there's these, these packs that came with uh, Dragon Age 2 that right out of the gate. Yeah, it's like, oh, you have a five kilobyte download, and boom, and there it is. Yeah, you know, I just... That I don't like. But if it's something... That said, I mean, while Bioware's guilty of that, I also feel that some of the DLC that they've developed after the game's been released, especially in RPGs... Yeah. I feel that DLC, additional quests, missions, whatever you want to call them, can be really exciting. Well, yeah... Um, case in point, um, Half-Life 2, all the stuff that came after that, mm-hmm. you know, that was all episodic DLC. Everything that Bethesda's done lately. Um, yeah, all of Portal 2's multiplayer stuff, a lot of their co-op yeah. stuff has been DLC. So I think about the majority of it, and it actually does work. It does add value, and it, it is um, a way to keep the game fresh, which yeah. kind of goes against all of his statements, so... Yeah, now there have definitely been cases. I don't know if you've had the misfortune of playing them. I think that one of the... the Mass Effect 2, for instance, has several, three or four different DLC packs, missions, and they greatly vary in terms of quality mm-hmm. and how long they are. And I played one that was kind of a middle-of-the-road one, and I played one that was incredible. Right. And... I think it really depends if the developer is kind of under the thumb of a publisher. Right. Where Castlevania Lords of Shadow had two pieces of DLC that came out that were really, they really should have bundled together into one. And they were kind of an epilogue to the game story uh and kind of provide a bridge to the next game that's going to be released for that in that series this year. And it was really crappy, really crappily done. And the developer even went on the record, I think within the last month saying, making that DLC was a mistake. Wow. We didn't want to do it. 
we were forced to do it by our publisher and we're really embarrassed with how it turned out and we really wish it, it wasn't out there we'd prefer that it hadn't happened and yet it does still the sequel relies upon things that occurred in that dlc oh wow there there were major story developments but it was just so poorly done yeah, and that's too frustrating bad. to people so so it can go both ways i do feel that there are many games out there that have added multiplayer that it was just pointless right and i i really really hope that bioshock infinite hasn't been delayed for 10 months as most people suspect to add multiplayer to it because the first bioshock didn't have multiplayer and it was great yeah bioshock 2 had multiplayer granted it was developed by somebody else in the original developers and it was only like eh, wasn't that great a lot of people can't stand mass effect 3's multiplayer and it actually was required to get the optimal ending for some time until right. the the new extended cut ending <laughs> came out uh it if it doesn't make sense in the story or the world, it's like, I don't think it should be done. Yeah. I, I there's even agree. been some, there's a pot's been stirred uh, for dead space three where some statements have been interpreted incorrectly or correctly that EA is putting co-op multiplayer into dead space three. I think there is wow. competitive multiplayer in dead space two. But Dead Space 3 has co-op single player, actually. Co-op single player, mm-hmm. drop in, drop out. And it was because apparently the game was too scary or something like that. Oh, jeez. According to focus groups. That's the part that may or may not be correctly interpreted. And people are just like so angry because the game's supposed to be scary. It's scary to play it by yourself. But market research showed that people were so scared they really wish that somebody else were there to play it with them right like going to a horror movie with a friend isn't as scary as watching it by yourself but what's weird is they've actually done it which in the right way potentially you can play dead space 3 completely solo there's not some ai person oh that's cool alongside you and the game's story sequences some of them play out differently because you're by yourself right or you can play it with somebody else well, that's cool. and then there's a character that's just plopped in there huh I like that idea. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to bemoan it too much like this guy did. but uh, <laughs> That's about all i got to say. <laughs> it's just, you know, um, you know, it's going to vary from company to company, but I wouldn't say it's a terrible idea, and I do think it keeps the game fresh and it makes it entertaining, especially, case in point, um, Fallout 3 and the DLC for that. Oh, yeah. And how it just expanded upon the world. And changed added, the ending in some yeah, it added, case. Yeah, it changed the ending. It added just a ton. Um, you know, I don't like that in RPGs because sometimes you want to spend more time in that world. Yeah. Just oh, like, yeah. Oh. Like the Dragon Age ones. I just can't get enough of those games, you know, and I want to do more stuff there, but I don't want to play them over and over again as different character types yeah. or anything like that. I just, That's how I felt about Mass Effect as well. Yeah, I want to take my character and see new stuff yeah. in that same game. That's kind yeah. of where I'm at with it. So Exactly. I disagree completely with him. <laughs> so that's the first of our whiners. <laughs> mm-hmm. The next one comes from a very well-respected indie developer, Jonathan Blow, who is the guy behind Braid. And he believes that video game consoles are, quote-unquote, handicapped by corporate culture. <laughs> yeah. So he said, the edge that both Apple and Valve have 
going into the future is that they both genuinely care about the end user experience and want to make it as good as possible, which coincidentally seems to be the place that these consoles are handicapped due to their corporate culture. Can anyone look at the current 360 or PS3 dashboards and legitimately say that those are products of an entity that deeply cares about user experience? <laughs> and of course he's referring, I think, to all the advertisements the, that are at least in the, the 360 The fact that there's one. this tiny little square on the Xbox 360 console that actually is relevant to what you're trying to do at any time. <laughs> like the game you want to play that's in the drive shows up in a 2-inch by 2-inch area yeah. on the screen. Everything yeah. else is Bigger. irrelevant. Or click here to, or you know, go here to buy this. Look at Mazda's new yeah. car. We're going to distract you. Subscribe to Netflix. Yeah, totally. And and to subscribe to Netflix, but then find out that you have to pay, um, you know, have to resubscribe to Xbox Live Gold. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. So yeah, I think he's got a point there. Uh, these are these is one that I would I would agree with, and he even provide. Let's see, the World of Goo co-creator Ron Carmel added some. He he piled on to this topic a little bit. And this is more of an insider's point of view, saying that contract negotiations with Microsoft Studios are drawn out and adversarial. I've heard many complaints about having to work with the producer, and their terms are the worst among all modern digital distribution channels. Wow. I read a story just the other week that Limbo was going to come out on PS3 a year earlier than it did, but Sony refused to put it on their system unless they had full rights to the IP. (laughs) God. (laughs) And so... Playdead Studios who made Limbo are like, uh, no thanks, we're going to go to 360 instead. And it became a major cornerstone and highlight of I, the summer of arcade I remember that, yeah. And it got all those kudos and it sold tons and then a year later it finally came out on PlayStation 3. Wow, that was a bad call by Sony to be all hardball about that. But some developers, that they're willing to, to bite that bullet because right. Sony will fund their development and stuff like that, but then they own the IP. Well, especially like the developers that um, you know are targeting Android, but go ahead and do the, the uh, Kindle store or whatever. Yeah. And get just totally owned yeah. with the Amazon one. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. It's sad. Well, I think he brings up a good point there. Um so this is a winer that we give a thumbs up to. Yeah, well, and, and he also talks about um, iOS and about that there's no certification process for iOS. And so by the Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo theory, the app should be crashing all the time, totally <laughs> terrible, should be mass yeah. chaos and anarchy. Um, you know, and he says, but in fact, that's not at all what's happening. You know, you don't, you don't expect your iPhone apps to suck because it's a competitive market and it's in their best interest to not release crap and to actually do... Well, I thought Apple did review every single app that went out of their store, didn't they? They do, but he means like a certification process for the game itself, like oh. to make sure it has certain standards, you know? And it doesn't crash. Right. And, okay. And there is nothing like that. Yeah, certainly they look to make sure it's not like, you know, Leisure Suit Larry remake with, you know... Or stolen IP or whatever, but yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so we we agree. While in the while he is whining, it's good whining. <laughs> the next one that we have actually comes from Borderlands, the <laughs> land of Borderlands, so to speak. This one entertained me. Yeah. Now, have you played Borderlands? Yeah, I have it. Okay. Um. Oops. I just closed my link to it. Though. So is it Randy? Pitchford? Am I thinking of the right name? 
Yes. Gearbox Studios president Randy Pitchford is shocked that nobody has ripped off his Borderlands, his company's Borderlands game. Uh, he starts out by explaining, we're in an industry where people do nothing but steal from each other. <laughs> and then he continues, I'm actually astonished that we're about to launch a sequel to Borderlands and no one stole it from us. The formula's right there. No one's stolen it yet. That's weird. Not that I want anyone to steal it or I'm challenging people to steal it. And he further explains, when talking about Borderlands 1, it was really confusing because on one hand, we got a scream from the highest mountain to get attention because it's a new IP. On the other hand, it's like, shit, we don't want to tell people our secret <laughs> because <laughs> then they're all going to copy it because it's so good. I like your rendition of it. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a little cynical about yeah, this one? Yeah, slightly. <laughs> well, yeah, the super secret formula, right, is also called Diablo 2. <laughs> right. So with a first person perspective, right? <laughs> yeah, with a first person perspective and with guns. But yeah. it's the same basic thing. It's like a random a random randomization kind of creation for all the weapons with the facts and everything. Yeah. So they're like, We have thousands I remember him from like a long time ago talking the marketing about was like the, millions of combinations millions of guns. Of combinations of weapons. It's like yeah, in the end yeah. it's like you roll like five dice and you come up with a pistol that shoots green stuff that burns through stuff that might explode, <laughs> you know? And so there's that. And then there's the, you know, the, the graphics, but it's the same kind of thing. It's you buy better loot to kill tougher monsters, which gets you better loot, which with which you can kill better monsters in an endless cycle of, of that. Yeah, it's Plus a dungeon and, crawler to get random loot. Yeah. So that's the secret formula that he's just, you know, so concerned about. Well, it's already been done. It was Diablo 2. <laughs> It was Diablo 1 before that, and it's Torchlight and all these other things. It's just the only thing is it's not a 3D. I mean, nobody's copied his exact formula. Maybe they thought, I really liked it better when it was a isometric view. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's just so funny. And I liked that some of the comments were, were equally kind of blasé about this statement that Really, there's nothing that's unique in the game, whether you look at it strictly from a first-person perspective or from an RPG loop perspective. Uh, elements, all the elements in the game have been done before individually. Right. And then the combination of them spiritually have ancestors in the games that you named. But the thing is that some people will defend it for is that they think the game was just fun. It is fun. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I've played it as well. And I remember there was controversy when the whole art style changed because it used to look a lot like Rage and they changed it and made it really cartoony. Actually, it looked like Fallout too. And so there was all this concern like, wow, because it was going to come out shortly after Fallout. And like, we don't want this to look like it's just another Fallout game. And so they made it all cartoony. People were like, what are you doing? (laughs) And then people liked it. I played it. uh, I got it. I think I got it for my dad. And so I played it at his place and... It was kind of okay, but I didn't think it was super amazing. And you didn't like start carving out time to dedicate to. No, I, I didn't get just, a copy it of it for cool, myself. But not yeah. Yeah, and he has a right to be proud of his game because it's been successful enough to to justify a sequel. But I also yeah. don't think this is like Call of Duty or something like that. Well, yeah. Either. None of the ideas are his alone. They're all... He's and it wasn't like such a huge major blockbuster that people are like, holy crap, we didn't make one of those two. Yeah, no. So yeah. It's, he has the right to be proud of his game and be excited about his sequel, but he should probably dial it down a little bit. <laughs> Next up, 
Ubisoft, one of my favorite developers slash publishers, who I really like because they tend to do really unique games. They've they've made a number of really cool games in this last generation that were really interesting, yeah. such as Assassin's Creed. Yeah. And they, they've experimented with their own franchises like Prince of Persia and, and gone in really cool directions. And they also are reliable for titles and other traditional genres like first-person shooters and stuff like that. Well, and then they did um, Rocksmith, too, right? Their, yeah. Their, that other studio that they have or whatever. Exactly. Which, like, you know, while rhythm games are no longer the end thing, Yes. unfortunately, the timing of it couldn't have been worse, but it's a really cool... But it's still getting DLC. Did you know yeah, that? Yeah. That's an example of DLC that yeah, I also like. more songs and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, they are cool. <laughs> Sorry. That, uh, that's okay. Well, we were going to talk about with Ubisoft in the Weiner section is that according to the CEO of the company, Yves Guimont, he's mad that new consoles haven't come out because for the last three or four generations, new consoles came out every five years. Right. Technology was advanced enough and affordable enough to justify a brand new entry in the console race. And he says that because there haven't been new consoles coming out, we're not getting new IP and developers aren't getting to be more creative. Which I think this is a good follow-up to our previous story about Borderlands. And I can understand it from a corporate corporate perspective that when the the library of games is really shallow and people are looking just to buy something to justify their super expensive new console investment. They're more likely to be like, yeah, sure. I'll buy this game that I've never heard of before or this racer that I've never heard of before because Ubisoft made it or EA or Activision. Maybe it'll be good. Yeah. And that's, Essentially, how he justifies it, he says it's a lot less risky for us to create new IPs and new products when we're in the beginning of a new generation. Our customers are very open to new things. Our customers are reopening their minds, and they're really going after what's best. At the end of a console generation, they want new stuff, but they don't buy new stuff as much. They know their friends will play Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed, so they go for that. So the end of a cycle is very difficult. I Hmm. partially agree, but we have seen new IP come oh, yeah. out consistently over the last several years. Yeah. The last half of the cycle that have been really good. And to, to me, this just says they're risk averse to spend a lot of money because they don't know if people are going to buy it. And then recoup. Yeah. But it's like, if you make a really good game and you do a, work and it's high quality and interesting you do your research find out where's the hole or or in the market that you could fill you can come up with something really cool and it's so funny this is coming from ubisoft because they had the coolest looking new game that was a brand new ip at e3 with watchdogs yeah it is weird it's i feel like he's almost projecting like their corporate fear upon the consumer saying consumers are afraid to try something new and that's i don't think that's true really it's the the companies producing the games that are like so stuck on their damn franchises yeah so you know if they see a console switch as a chance to you know you know roll the dice and see what they can come up with and try take their risks because they feel like the consumers will be a kind of a captive market yeah 
Well, that's not good either. Yeah, that doesn't make me want to buy a new system and so, buy their new games. Yeah, but I, I think they're projecting a little bit. I don't think that's necessarily true. Although I have a lot of respect for him and what they're doing. Yeah, they I make really cool games. I just don't buy it completely. Because I look at all the indie games that are just thriving right now, and I don't see any lack of creativity. And the funny thing is, is Ubisoft is leading the pack for Wii U in terms of third-party support. They have more third-party... They have more games announced for the system's launch oh, yeah. and shortly after and the launch window after the system is released than any other third party developer and the funny thing is is he's revealed that yeah you, you may think of Ubisoft from a quantity perspective for Wii U offering a lot of new titles including some stuff that's never been done before brand new franchise possibilities right. and he's like yeah we actually didn't spend that much money on it <laughs> and for someone who wants to throw money at risky IP and making new stuff. It's funny for him to say, he's like, yeah, we, we've spent less on those Wii U games than we spent on our current generation AAA titles. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And so that also, I think, reveals, he's like, yeah, creativity is important, but we can also cheap out, potentially, on these titles. Right. Yeah. Which I, I know isn't always true because sometimes if it's new hardware, they have to buy all new development systems and oh, platforms. Sure. Everybody has to be trained and all that stuff. So there is definitely yeah. a capital investment that goes into working on something truly new, whereas the Wii U is using technology that's really similar to the 360 and the PS3. But still, yeah, those two statements kind of yeah, clash really, to me. really weird. I don't know. I actually just moved this, Mark. I hope you don't mind. But it felt like a pseudo-winer thing, but a winer thing that I can support. <laughs> and this is a story that you you found earlier today, right? Oh, the uh, game developer changes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, an interesting story over on Parody News. Um, oh, yeah, my mouse. A developer has managed to decide, based on piracy concerns, to just go ahead and make their Android games uh, free while still charging for them on iOS. And the reason being that he believes, based on some feedback, this is a game uh, from Madfinger Games. Um, They have a game called Dead Trigger, and they've turned it to free, um, basically because they're they're seeing some, some estimates that up to 90% of Android games are being pirated right now. Calm to us being one of the publishers claiming this. And so their reasoning is, well, if people are just going to go ahead and pirate anyway, let's just make it free. And this is a game that doesn't have in-app purchasing either. So... That's really... So there's no revenue source whatsoever if they made it free. And I I don't know that... I don't know that I quite understand that. It's like, well... 10% 10% of getting of, you know, 10% of $1 per game sold is still more than zero. So, and I don't know, it's a strange kind of Why make it free? Do they not get user data or something if you it's pirated? You would think pirated? so, yeah. You would think you Cuz it's not really explained well in the story why No. They thought this was a good solution. Yeah, I just don't I just don't understand the thought process. What's unfortunate is, you know, they are still charging for it for iOS, so 
because there's not quite as much piracy for <laughs> iOS, the people that have, you know, iPhones and touches are kind of and iPads yeah. are posed. Um, I'm kind of in the dark. I didn't even know that there was that much piracy going on. I, I, I wouldn't even know how to pirate something on a droid. Yeah, I've, I, you have a droid, right? Yeah. Well, you'll have to investigate that for next time. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm un, I understand it's pretty easy. Um, but it's also easy, or it has in the past been easy to you know jailbreak or hack your iPhone yeah. and do the same thing. And there's actually an app store you can go to once you've done that. I saw, I knew, I knew someone who had done that. And you could go to this app store and just get anything you wanted, pretty much. Wow. That, you know, had been, was put there. So, you know, reasons not to jailbreak your phone or not to hack your phone. Well, if you do any online banking or, you know, have or accessing <laughs> sensitive data with said phone, you never know what <laughs> might be exposed with that. So, I don't know. Or if you, ha- or if you have a company phone that's controlled that's by true. an MDM of some sort, it's really not very <laughs> likely to, to work out for you. But yeah, it's kind of sad to see somebody just kind of give up like that. You know? I agree. Um, Our next section of stories, and this is actually going to be a quick one. We're moving on from whiners into futurists. People are making predictions about the future. And this was interesting I read about it, and Jason actually found it so entertaining, he also forwarded it to us at mail. M-A-I-L. At channelmassive.com. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, there is no latency between the two of us in this. I It was all just like my... Well, it was of, a weird way. It was a weird place for me to put it in there. Like, is, <laughs> Mark, like, is Mark going to get it? <laughs> huh? <laughs> and listeners, you too can send us things to that yes. email address. Please do. <laughs> but this statement actually came... From an ex-Electronic Arts chief executive who has predicted that Nintendo is going to go the route of Sega and become a software-only company. Say it's not true. Now, at first it sounds ridiculous, but when uh-huh. you read the article and think about it oh, a little yeah. bit, it starts to actually make sense, mostly because of the like ubiquitous portable devices that can compete with the DS and everything. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the other two console manufacturers seem to be kicking Nintendo's ass right now mm-hmm. as far as, you know, titles and oh, yeah. and other features. So while well, at first I scoffed at it, after a further review, he does not seem to be quite on crack as originally <laughs> believed. This guy's name is Bing Gordon. And he used to be his middle name is Cherry. (laughs) (laughs) When he's feeling pretty, the former COO (laughs) of Electronic Arts, and his specific quote was, "I think Nintendo's already on track to become primarily a software company." He said, "We saw that," and he basically justified it that Nintendo will still be able to sell devices and consoles and handhelds as long as Mr. Miyamoto is around. The guy behind. Zelda and Mario and Donkey Kong and tons of other major franchises. He thinks that as long as that guy's around still making games, Nintendo can sell whatever they want. But once he retires or passes away or whatever, and he's in his (laughs) (laughs) late 50s, who knows? (laughs) He could definitely be closer to retirement than anything. Yeah, He thinks that Nintendo will just give up the ghost and say, screw this. 
Now, this isn't the first person to make this kind of prediction or at least question Nintendo about, hey, you know, you could release your multi-platinum selling games on lots of systems and make way more money. Right. If you did this and just stopped doing this hardware thing. And the tip, the typical Nintendo response is, is bristling and <laughs> repugnant and angry. How dare you suggest that we get out of the hardware business? And I, I can't remember if the quote word for word, but it was basically the day that we stop making consoles and hardwares is the day we close our doors and we stop making things at all. In other words, if you can't play our games on our machines, you won't play them anywhere. Wow. Which coming from a company that was founded in the 1800s. Yeah. (laughs) Is kind of hard to believe. I would think what Mr. Gordon here is saying is definitely feasible. Yeah, I would too. If there is a major changing of the guard over the next 10, 20 years at Nintendo, I could definitely see this stuff going multi-platform. I wouldn't be super stoked about it necessarily, but yeah. it definitely makes sense. Well, if you had, um, if so what would you prefer? You've got like a super phone now. What if you could get like Nintendo games for that done to take advantage of its interface? You know, would you prefer a DS three or you know 3d or i don't know or just play the games on my on your phone if especially if your phone was a little bit more geared you know towards those games like had a my i have definitely had my share of fun with touch-based games on my phone yeah but they still never can replace games that have tactile input Mm -hmm. with buttons and directional pad or analog stick there's reasonable facsimiles that work okay on the touchscreen, and there are games that are just fine being purely touch games, but there's just a different experience. And, then, and the screen's so small. Right. And then, so so for, so for that, for the sake of that, it's kind of not a, not the best argument. And the console-wise, when's the last time you played your Wii? Uh, probably a month or so ago. Wow. I think. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm much less likely to play my Wii at overall. Yeah. I mean, I have played it recently. I I've, I feel a month isn't too long because I went on a gaming night just for a month. That's true. But overall, I've definitely put way more time into my PS3 and my 360 yeah, last year than my Wii. You know, I moved about over a year and a year and three months ago, something like that. I still haven't unpacked the Wii. Yeah. There um, were really... What surprised me is I actually was going through my game library about a couple months ago and I was looking at what games I'd stored for my GameCube and what I'd stored for my Wii and I was really shocked to see that my GameCube only had like six or eight games <laughs> it wow. was very few and I thought I had a lot of games that I I'd kept for that system because there's a lot that I played on it Yeah. but my Wii had like three times that many Wow. which is, that's the funny thing is it's this weird mix of I think of Wii and I'm like I'm so over that I'm really done with remote control motion controls. But then like boom blocks is like such a... But there are a lot of individual yeah. games that I love and I looked at those games and I'm like, I don't yeah. want to get rid of any You can't play them anywhere else. I mean, you can't exactly. do it on your 360. You can't even with Move or whatever for some Yeah, they, it's just not the same. That's the kudos to Nintendo is they still get exclusives or develop first party games that are yeah. worth having. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting article and definitely food for thought, I think. Yeah. I thought he was a madman at first. But, you know, it's 
not so impossible. <laughs> Our next batch of stories in the Intrigetan are scammers, or people dealing with scammers. First up over in Mojang land. Yeah. Um, so from boingboing.net comes a story of a patent troll targeting Minecraft. Now when you see this, you might think, oh my gosh, it's the Infiniminer people finally <laughs> wanting vengeance. But it's not. It's a more famous, er, a famous patent troll, Unilock. And they're suing the creators of the popular indie title, Minecraft. Um, and they claim that it infringes on a infringes on a patent. Wow, I haven't had anything to drink, and I'm already slurring. <laughs> on a patent, it holds on copy protection software. And you're like thinking, what? What the hell are you talking about? The best part is the filing misspells Minecraft and calls it Mindcraft, <laughs> as in power of the mind. Yeah, and they're saying this has to do with the way the software goes across the internet to a server to validate. <laughs> The serial number. This is now, so stretching. That is like patenting breathing, first of all. Yeah. Which I plan to do after this podcast. But um, <laughs> And then, man, everyone will be paying me. But it's, you know, while it's totally ridiculous, they've tried this before. They have a success rate of, uh, what is it, 25%, I think it is. That's a shame. Uh, you know, people just roll over and pay them. Notch from who's one of he's becoming kind of like one of my heroes, like up there with Linus Torvalds as far as just fighting the power, you know. Yeah. So Notch, um, Marcus P- Pearson, has vowed the following, or oh, actually no, th- let me for, before that, he's so he's vowed not to give in. But this is kind of his explanation of his morning when he found out about this. Step one: wake up. Step two: check email. Step three: see that we're being sued for patent infringement. <laughs> Step four, smile. <laughs> and then he wrote on Twitter, Unfortunately for them, they're suing us over a software patent. If needed, I will throw piles of money at making sure they don't get a cent. And it, it seems to be that he is uh, quite serious about that. So, good luck, Unilock. Yeah. Good luck, you spineless bastards. I tell you, just... And I've been reading stories every day about the Samsung versus Apple oh, patent God. wars that are going on in court. That... Like, you must now apologize. That was the funniest. Oh, yeah, the British one. ruling? Yeah. You have to post an advertise or a sign in your store saying that Samsung didn't copy yeah. you. We're sorry, you didn't copy us. You know, that's, that sign's got to be put, like, under a counter or some space that no one will ever see it. <laughs> I'd like to get that sign. That would be funny to have one of those. But yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, these patent things, they are... They go both ways, but more than anything, the only thing I ever hear about them is how annoying they are in the legal world. Well, especially so it's when it's when it's a software patent of, of a concept. And they're not saying the source code was stolen or taken or copied. It's like a concept for how you. I mean, that concept is used by everyone. I mean, Valve, uh, you know, Steam does it. Um, you know, all the BattleNet games do, do yep. it. I mean, it's. It's ridiculous. It's a rid- well, the most ridiculous that patent. Douche that the online worlds people who are like, they've got a patent on some core MMO concept. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, um, and they've just been going through all the lower rank MMOs trying to just yeah. pillage them. I haven't heard back for what if Blizzard chewed them up and spat them out with their fleet of so. corporate lawyers. Yeah, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they got their asses handed to them. I'm surprised they don't have to like go stand like you know 
naked on a corner somewhere with a billboard <laughs> saying douchebag. <laughs> but uh, we can only hope. And you found some stories about our favorite um, software company Zynga. It looks like. Yeah, this is this is quarterly reports time for the world, or at least for American economy. And there's been a lot of bad reports. I mean, Apple is down and I believe Facebook is down. Oh yeah. Yeah. Facebook's there's just, I think Netflix is severely down like 90% down. Also among all those people reporting bad results in their earnings report, Zynga is had a huge underwhelming report that caused their stock price to drop let's see i I think it was 60 percent is how much it's dropped i'm not sure of the exact number but it was about 12 dollars earlier this year and now it's down to three wow so that's about i don't know 60 75 percent of a drop well, aside from being accused of quote over uh, of over promising and significantly under delivering, apparently the CEO cashed out two hundred million dollars worth of shares a few months before all this went down. Back when the stock price was up at twelve dollars a share, and he's not the only one in his company who yeah. did that. And so now they're starting to get investigated to see if they knew this crap was going to happen all along. And so they took advantage of the timing before they tanked. Inside, a little bit of insider trading. Yeah. And to me, this is all just wonderfully karmic because they are known as the great copiers of the world. Right. Because remember when we talked a few months ago about how they ripped off that tiny tower? Yeah. Concept. I mean, they tried to buy them out, and then when they couldn't buy them out, they, they just, just ripped them off. Made it. Yeah. Remade it. And they inexplicably bought the makers of Draw This, and that totally turned out to be a tank. Just like within a few weeks after purchasing them, everybody stopped playing the game. And it's just like they've they've had a run of bad luck, but the whole copying stuff. Yeah. Not to mention being just making really obnoxious games that I'm not a fan of. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a double whammy as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, so we'll. I'll be really interested to see what happens with this investigation if they... Me too, because, wow, talk about bad karma. Yeah. I, I, it's not something that I necessarily want to happen to any business. You know, it's, it's yeah. an awful thing to go through. To think like, oh my God, is our company going on the tubes? We're going to have to lay everybody off. What's going to happen next? But this company has also done some stuff that I haven't been a big fan of. Yeah. I it, mean, aside from even their game concepts, their core games, just copying stuff is not cool. Well, how would you feel if, like, you worked for a company like that? I mean, yeah, I think we all, like, look at the thing, some of the decisions that execs at our companies make, and we go, wow, I don't get that, you know? Yeah. But, like, when your entire business model is made on, made up of, you know, ripping off cons, exactly cloning other games, and then using your name and your your pow- your market power to squeeze them out like yeah. crush them and then make a sequel after you know it's it i don't know even if I, i'm just i'm not sure that i even feel bad for people that work at that company i mean and i think it was the ceo who like made some kind of like hellacious quote like 
I don't give a shit That's if the you guy, can do Mark such and such. You need to just copy and get it out there. And just right. like, wow, what Yeah, I don't want innovation. I want you to copy shit. Well, so, okay, copy. <laughs> it's coming back to bite him in the ass. Yeah, well, he doesn't care. He made $200 million, you know? Yeah, but if he has to go through a bunch of court... Oh, yeah, if he ends up going to... Yeah, to uh, won't last too long. Club Fed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And our last special section... It's not any of the other previous categories. It's not scammers or futurists or whiners. It's furries. It is the Pandaria. The mists of Pandaria will be landing September 25th. It finally coming, has a release date. Coming to a World of Warcraft server near you. Uh, no, I imagine this is going to totally stop all your other game playing in its tracks. As you <laughs> try to reproduce the Night Elf hot hot tub incident in the... This uh, time with pandas. With pandas, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not too excited about it, honestly. I just... And it's selling for 40 bucks. Oh, or you can get the collector's edition for 80 which will, of course, come with... <sighs> I don't know, all kinds of stuff. DVD, Blu-ray, soundtrack, CD art book, mouse pad, special in-game pet mount. Now, since we're talking about mounts, I've been wanting to say this for some time... There's, like, some new program, incentive program that um, WoW has right now where if you do this or that, you get to be the mount, it says. <laughs> but no. when I read it, so when I read it, I immediately thought they should have changed it to say get mounted. <laughs> because of that whole epic mount thing, epic. remember? Epic mount for an epic mount. Yeah, where the lady was willing to barter her uh, her sexual affections for a, an epic mount. <laughs> yeah, you can get mounted now. Apparently, your friend can fly you around. <laughs> it's true. I kid you not. You, just, I, I have to look this up. They did not. Yeah, you got to look it up. It's uh, some new incentive <laughs> thing. It made me laugh so hard because I just. Oh my god. I think you're like some kind of a Pegasus or something, and your friend can fly around on you, so you can get mounted. And uh, just made me laugh, so. Well, that is a great way to end this. I've been wanting to talk about that online since I saw it, so finally got my chance. Listeners, let us know if you are looking to be mounted. <laughs> yeah. Not that we will do anything to help you. <laughs> but I definitely want to hear about it. Yeah, we. Yeah, we we're, we're not living in an exciting time right now. No. Um, or if you want to stick up for or jump down, jump on judgmentally. <laughs> mount. <laughs> if you want to judgmentally mount something that yeah. we mentioned earlier in this intro, get on. Let us know at mail. M-A-I-L. Channelmassive.com. Or find us on Facebook. Leave us a glowing review on iTunes. <laughs> glowing um, only. Come check out our webpage. Yeah, yeah. Come and see stuff. Our, our blog and stuff <laughs> and things. And with that, we're going to take a few seconds of a break and be back to talk about what we've been playing. Oh, Noah, what have you been playing? <laughs> uh, I still have it. Uh-huh. I saw the fear in your eyes. I thought if I put my name below your name in the show notes that I would actually go second. Oh. But I, I don't mind going I go first. first. No, 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 no. Yours might be more interesting than mine, actually. Mine's going to be brief. So oh, really? Yeah. 
Okay, well, I've played three different games on three different systems. I have not played anything on my PC. I had like a little brief renaissance oh, wow. that was inspired by the Steam sale, and there's definitely a lot more that I could play over there, but I signed up to review a game for Nintendo Joe, so that means on my 3DS I'm playing this game called Rhythm Thief, which is uh, a musical-based game. It's a music-based game uh, set in Paris, and you play this guy, this kid who has stolen tons, dozens of really famous works of art from the Louvre and, oh, and nice. other museums, and it's in a, he's on a quest to try to find out where his father is who's disappeared several years ago and his mother died in a car crash when he was little and there was uh, a bracelet I think that was left behind or no it was a mark that was left behind oh, yeah. and some coin and so he's been trying to track it down through pieces of art so everything that he's stolen has been to try to f- figure out where his father is in the meanwhile there's this group of people that seem to have resurrected Napoleon somehow and Napoleon's oh, nice. running around with an army of soldiers through Paris and then there's this girl who was raised in a convent who doesn't know at all who her parents are. And she was just left with the violin as a baby at the convent. And there's a mark in her violin that matches the mark that this thief's oh, wow. got. And it's this really cool music that's, it's got samba and bossa nova. It's very jazzy and it sounds really good. And it's got great presentation. And unlike most rhythm games I play where, there's one central gameplay structure and then every single game uses that gameplay mode over and over and over. Like, oh, yeah. you know, how Rock Band. Yeah. The only difference is if you're going to play guitar or drums, then that's yeah. going to be slightly different. But ultimately, you're watching notes coming down the highway. And this one, it's all based on timing, but sometimes it's related to dancing. Sometimes it's related to playing the violin. That's one that I just did today. It was really cool where you stroke the touchscreen back and forth to play the violin and you have to do oh, it at cool. certain times and certain yeah, speeds. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Uh, and then there's one where guys will pop on the screen to attack you and like, da, 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 and then you wow. have to tap the button right after that. It's kind of Simon says style to uh, beat them off and the, beat them off. <laughs> well, beat them away. You go on ahead and <laughs> beat them off. <laughs> this is a rhythm game. <laughs> so it's not the segment I had envisioned originally. That's the last time you asked me to go first. Uh, <laughs> But they jump at you and then you literally swat them away is, I guess, the better way of describing it. There's ones where he has to... (laughs) Fend them off. Yes, fend them (laughs) off. Where he's cooking and he has to cook things to a certain tempo and rhythm and serve them. But there's just like so much variety and there's that really cool story. And you said that's a 3DS? It's a 3DS game. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. It's really well done. And the speakers, just the default speakers, are so much better than the, the old DSs that... I feel like I've got a really high quality experience, so I'm mm. actually thrilled to be reviewing this game, and I won't talk about it too much more probably on this show, but I just wanted to give a little background yeah, for it in case cool. you're looking for a new game that's a lot of fun on your 3DS. In addition to that, I also got super stoked about a psychedelic rhythm game that just came out on PS3 called Dyad, huh. and the developers are quite proud of the f- the apparent fact that this game does a really good job of replicating being on acid or mushrooms or something where you see lots of psychedelic spiraling colors in a tunnel. (laughs) And I just thought it looked really cool. And it was a rhythm game, and it's kind of like a mix of Descent 
and oh that should be kind of cool yeah because it's always going down a tunnel right. it's really psychedelic but then you also have to you pull yourself through the tunnel by seeing th- there's enemies that are along the walls of the tunnel and you have to rotate the tunnel like and, tempest sort of yeah but you you hook them oh. is what the game calls it and that's what pulls you and starts getting momentum oh, that's cool. and if you do a pair of them that are the same color in a row you go faster and then the gameplay gets more complex that once you hook it's such a stupid word and a hook is in all caps whenever the game no. has it on the screen if you once you hook a, an enemy then they have this aura around them and then if you graze past them and you go through the aura then you get a speed boost and then it evolves from that where you start building up energy bars that allow you to lance <laughs> the enemies which is basically <laughs> like a turbo lance. boost oh that's cool <laughs> And so you ultimately start to get going really fast unless you run into something and then it kind of and it rewinds. But it's got this kind of really cool up-tempo but still mellow electronic music that everything, all the hooking and lancing (laughs) is time to. (laughs) And it's gotten all these glowing reviews and I'm like, this is right up my alley because I love rhythm games. And I don't think it's that great not so great it looks cool not so nice and i kept playing it and the, the funny thing is if you read all the reviews it's like we don't know how to explain this game it's not really a rhythm game it's not really a puzzle game hmm. it's not really a tunnel crawler game it's it's a mix of all of them but it's like i kept playing it and i had a friend with me he's like what are you doing i don't understand what's going on i'm like yeah that's kind of how this game's supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is is like i wasn't really having that much fun either i'm like i don't see the appeal right just doesn't doesn't, yeah, so it I doesn't hook you. It doesn't. So I I don't know why I'm not on the bus with everybody else with that one, it especially happens. since I'm target market for this type of genre. But what I am really really enjoying is Mass Effect Three. I have returned back oh, nice. to that in full force, both the single player and the multiplayer. Now we've heard complaints about the multiplayer from Terror, especially. Uh-huh. I think Scott and Jason. I think one of them was okay with it, and one of them was like, eh didn't really like it tear violently didn't like it knows how her brother play it for i actually think it's really fun oh cool well, i good. i've actually spent several hours in it and mm. it's kind of a stupid feature in that you have to pl- you have this galaxy readiness thing yeah i've heard of and that there's a map of the solar system divided up into quadrants and if you play a multiplayer map within a certain quadrant that will boost that quadrant's readiness as well as boosting the overall galaxy's readiness. And up until that extended edition, extended cut ending came out, while it wasn't required to play multiplayer, if you wanted the best ending, you had to have your galaxy readiness at the max and you could only increase that. It doesn't matter how many side quests you do in the single player game or how much DLC or whatever, you only boost that by playing the multiplayer mode. So I was really leery about it because this is a game that didn't have multiplayer until the third game. But it's actually not too bad. That's cool. Huh. It's fun. I, I did make the mistake of starting out with, yeah, put me in any game. Yeah, put me into a gold level challenge. Oh. That's the hardest. And I died. And your teammates can resuscitate you. And he didn't bother even to resuscitate me. He just went and played by himself. And I was just watching him like, this is kind of boring. Switched it on to bronze and it was a lot better. Huh. Well, that's uh, kind of cool. So then I've been bouncing back and forth between that and the other. But this game, it's this is an example like we were talking about earlier where it's a world that I just don't want to leave i want to stay right, in this world right. because it's just so like, give addictive me more. i love all the races that are in this uh game and the storyline's really great 
The one knock that I kind of have against it, as compared to the other two games, is it feels a lot more fetch quest-ish than the first two did, where I felt like I was much more propulsive and going along, and there's lots of options on the side, and I could do them if I wanted to, and they were usually good. But this is a lot of like, talk to this person and go find this and then bring it back to this person. I've never seen, I've only, I'm only like 10 hours into the game. Mm-hmm. And this had didn't happen in the first two games, but I've got like 20 oh, different wow. little quests already in my quest queue. Whereas usually I'm used to only have like five to 10 and a majority of them are all fetch quests. Huh. And this involves going all over the galaxy <laughs> and scanning planets and then coming back and right. it's lots of back and forth to the main city. It's almost MMO-ish and... Normally, I would say this is bullshit, but, yeah. <laughs> but I really like the world, and I want a good ending. Right. As good as the ending can be, ending. at least. I want a happy ending. I know it's not going to be great, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I still love the the world and, and yeah. everything else, but the way that this game is set up is that you're trying to get people to commit to your cause, to unify against the threat, mm-hmm. and so you have to do all these stupid fetch quests right. in order to get each alien race and each planet lined up with you and so I haven't quite yet decided if it's a chore yet but so far it's still I, I just love the game so much and my character and all other stuff that it's it's still okay well that's cool oh, right on but yeah I, you gotta still, play Mass the oh, Fast I'm gonna, game I'm gonna get back to it I promise <laughs> you can see I'm a little and I will get into Dragon Age oh yeah maybe once I get into Dragon Age you will I'll, I'll feel compelled to yeah take over <laughs> So, I have been playing a few things. Um, I've been at night. Um, if my son's been a good boy, we get a little Xbox 360 time, and we've uh, finished Marvel Ultimate Alliance one, and we're playing Marvel versus Capcom three now. Just you know, fighting oh wow, each other. a fighting game. Yeah, and he we had played it before when it first came out, just randomly, like on a weekend or something. And he laughs and taunts so much. It's just hilarious to see this little five-year-old taunting me. But um, he's actually getting better at it. So I've been having to adjust my handicap. So now I uh, I had a handicap of uh, the worst thing you could have, and then I had two. But now he's discovered like ways to play Arthur that are just so evil. Oh, wow, um, that's a hard character to play. Yeah, he's got him down, and so I'm actually going to have to raise my handicap up to three of five um, for tomorrow if he's a good boy. And uh, so that's been kind of fun. <laughs> and if he's play. a bad boy, there will be no handicap, be, and he'll be yeah, crushed. <laughs> that's right. Rather than not letting you play the game, you will play, but you will lose every game. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> character building. Yeah, it's going to build character. Um I've been playing this really cool game um, based on Phineas and Ferb on my iPhone called Where's My Perry? This and is definitely a parent talking right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's actually really a cool game because it has physics in, in these puzzles that you have to solve. Basically, Perry's this platypus double. He's a secret agent that with nobody knows. Yeah, with a hat. And he's trapped in this um, little... Um, I don't know. It's like this little round... Uh, capsule, and you have to get enough um, power or water or whatever to the capsule to let him go through the subterranean cavern to get his next mission. So you're just kind of trying to get him out of each level, help him escape. And you can dig the dirt up that's in this. It's kind of like looking at the side of an ant farm, and there's water and different things. And you do this to channel the water to get to him, and you, you get extra points for, like, 
um, uncovering these hidden garden gnomes and different journals and things. And it starts out with just the water, but then it gets steam and then ice, and there's different mechanics at play like lasers, which will melt the ice and cause steam. And you so you have to figure out how to get through each level, and it gets progressively harder. That sounds so, cool. Yeah, I've been playing that, and it's really cool from a physics point of view, the way they handle the, the water and the way it flows through or the steam goes up. or There's this like black tar stuff that blows stuff up. I'm not sure what that's supposed to be. Um, but anyway, it's it's pretty cool game for the iPhone, really well done, and I think it's like a dollar or something. Nice. So, pretty good. And then um, when I was on a business trip, I took along Knights of the Old Republic, not to be confused with the, the MMO, the Old Republic or whatever, but I actually went back to Knights of the I Old Republic. I saw that you were playing that on Steam. And um, I really liked it. Um, I had never finished it. Um, Me when neither. I played it my first time I think through. I got halfway through it, Did you it get too. to the plot twist in it? No, but I know what it is because it's been spoiled so many times. Yeah, it but is. I know it's a really cool plot twist. It Do you is, know what it is? Yeah, it's okay. really cool. It's and a I, great plot twist. I, I was getting close to it when it crashed or whatever went wrong. Um, so uh, I I was playing it on my Xbox, my original Xbox, and something terrible uh-huh. happened. I but anyway, I started playing that again. Um, lost all progress now that I'm no longer on a business trip. Um, but it was pretty fun. <gasps> oh. It didn't remember it. No, I mean, I just, I mean, but I, I've lost all like inertia. Or all. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm just forward momentum. Yeah, forward momentum. Thank you. I just, okay. It's not crashed again. If the, if it screwed up, because that's what happened the first time was like the Xbox died yeah. or something. Yeah. So if it was lost to me again, I would just be like, well, I'm destined to never play this. You know, I was going to ask you. Speaking of the Steam sale, did you end up getting Walking Dead? I can't remember. No, I forgot to get oh, it. Oh, that that's night. a shame. But I will get it. But I just got so much other stuff that I need to actually. Play. Have you actually played any adventure games? I don't think you. I don't think of you as playing an adventure game. Not really. I mean, I have in the past, but I'm not much. About I mean, you might like this one because it's freaking gory well, and I graphic. I love The Walking Dead. So yeah, I plan to play it. It looks really cool. At least try the first. I'd, yeah, I'd be really interested to hear what your reaction was. Yeah. Isn't each episode like $5 or something? Yeah. yeah so I plan on trying the first one. Um, but mostly I've been getting my undead fix playing The Secret World. Um, oh, and actually oh. Walking Dead is coming out on iOS. Oh! Uh, yeah, like in a week well, or, or something. Sh- I'll do that for, for sure. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be how to... The graphics look the same, but it's going to be a very different control scheme. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know how they'll pull that. Well, I'll, I'll check. But that yeah, out. I don't know. Maybe you like it that version. If you've been playing a Phineas and Ferb game on your phone, maybe you can have. I do like my Phineas and Ferb game. But I apologize for interrupting. Oh no, you. no, you're playing Secret World still. Yeah, I'm still playing that, and I like it. Have you been uh, teaming up with uh, Eric and Terror? I Tara? have played with Eric. I haven't seen Terror online yet. I heard uh, that Terror got the game too. Oh, cool. I'll we'll have to for, via I'll, Eric. I'll have to find week. it. Wow. Yeah, off, off to find her. Um, but yeah, I am. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'm still in the like first area. It's just a really massive area, and it's like in um, New England, and there's a zombie apocalypse, and I'm trying to figure out all these mysteries and stuff. And um, so I met up with Eric, and what was interesting was he said, "I just want to show you, you know, my, some of my stuff because we have basically like at least one ability kind of in common, which is." Our, a core ability to each of us, which is we use fist weapons, which, like in my case, are claws. Yeah. And in his case, are really big, elaborate, ornate claws, because he did some cool quest. And so he was showing off his stuff, and his character's, like, really cool looking, too. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think mine looks as cool, but, um, anyway, 
he you know he's got some cool clothes and stuff and got his character looking good and so we were kind of hanging out and then he's like well you know what um why don't why don't you do one of your quests and I'll help you out and I was like oh okay. can you do that as a different character yeah, yeah, or a different we, we were grouped together even though we're in different factions that's what it is faction yeah, yeah so I said I said well can I be in your guild and he's like well that's where the factions come in you can't be in my guild hmm. um so it's like okay but that's so okay I, you don't need his guild I don't need his guild <laughs> anyway so <laughs> I said uh, yeah instead of the creek creeping darkness it'll be the fast light <laughs> but um anyway we uh so i was like yeah okay come with me well it turned out to be like a single player only quest all the ones <laughs> and so like i basically opened the store and he's like oh it's a single player one he goes well, all right well i'll catch you later and i was like well that's cool i'm sure i'll be done really fast right <laughs> no it was cool it was this it was like it kind of reminded me of some of the better missions in City of Heroes. I mean, you were going to say that. Just, the game reminds me of it. In a I was going to ask you that. Which MMO does it remind yeah, you of the most? It's something about it, and that's what I was telling Eric. I go, I don't know what it is about this game, but I really like it. There's just something about it that you know, with Star Wars. Well, it was Star Wars and exactly. it was Bioware, and you know, no real reason on this one. But it does kind of remind me of a lot of the good parts of City of Heroes. Um, I can't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it was in City of Heroes. Some of it was kind of more open world than a lot of MMOs, where when you were at a certain level range, there was a lot of different things to do. You weren't kind of, you didn't feel it was totally linear, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like that, but even more so. More, like, because there are no levels. Um, so it's kind of more like a Bethesda game in that respect. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. What do you think of that concept? Because they're kind of there, they're just not traditionally labeled. Yeah, I'm liking it so far. It feels really natural. There's nothing like, there's nothing contrived about it. It seems just to play right. So anyway, the single player mission was, I had to go into the basement of this mining museum where this guy had flipped out and like basically booby trapped the whole thing. And there's like all these laser trip wire things going on and grids of lasers. And there's these puzzles you have to figure out how to... There's only really two. But man, I blew up on the second one so many times because I was just trying to go fast. <laughs> and you had to... What you had to do was like there was this light that was shining. There's different zones where light was shining. And you had to wait for the light to, to be, you know, over. And then you had to stealthily walk through. And there's no real stealth mechanic. It's actually just how you're moving. So you don't, you know, it's not like, it's not like, you know, you have a 70% chance of being stealthy, but you can walk in the light. No, nothing like that. You actually had to walk in the shadows, just like it uh -huh. was real. And it was, there was something really cool about that, especially because I blew myself up like six or seven times. That, <laughs> I was like, you know, I felt like I had actually You'd accomplished, accomplished something, something when yeah. I really did it. And, uh, you know, I did that. I'm just unraveling all these mysteries. I'm loving, like, this setting and everything. It's really eerie. And there's the zombies running around everywhere, different kinds of zombies, but mostly, you know, your typical, well, there's like fast moving zombies, like 28 days later, then there's slow plodding ones like Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. And then there's these crazy like things coming up from the sea that look like crustacean slash human zombie things. They kind of remind yeah. me of some of the weird chaos creatures in um, Warhammer, you know, mm -hmm. where like one arm is like a. Oh, Lots yeah, I remember clock. those, yeah. So there's stuff like that, and they're really creepy. And then there's these, like, hag things. And um, anyway, I, and the quests are cool, too, you know? Like, I had one where I had to go and... Um, um, I had to go find a phone book so I could figure out who might have surveillance equipment. And then I went to all these different 
locations and looted like these cameras and on some of them you had to figure you had to do like kind of a jumping puzzle to figure out how to get up on top of the roof to peek over the ledge to grab the camera and on others there was just simply a ladder you had to find or whatever mm-hmm. but that was kind of cool and then i took all the cameras and like put them in strategic locations and then went to this um i went to this police station where there was actually a terminal which i had found earlier but when I got in there, it had like a, it had these different options, and you actually start typing it in like on a green screen, and it's like option two, arm security system, and then I could watch through the cameras wherever I had mounted them and like survey the city with this computer. Oh, that's cool! In the police station, it's just so well done, like that. You know, like it's not just a stupid quest, but there's actually a meaning to it and stuff. Yeah. And then I got a progressively more difficult assignment after doing that. So. I'm kind of liking it. It's just the way it's done is kind of... And you of like a, having like one quest at a time? Yeah, and that's the other thing. There, are, Well, you don't have just one, but you have different one of a different category. So they're like, there's these three quests that are kind of like side type quests that you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a story quest, there's a multiplayer quest, and then I think there's a couple others that have different... You know, one's like basically like your main quest, you know. And then there's one that's kind of for the zone, which is like an overarching one that you can just do it as you see. You know, mm-hmm. And you can also repeat any quest you want daily. Like every quest is like a daily if you want it to be. But it's cool because when you see a quest giver or item or whatever, because it's not, they don't just come from people, but they come from different, you know, objects that you run into. It'll have a check mark if you've ever done it before. So you see the check mark, you're like, oh, I've already been here. You can drop beacons on the map so you know where to go if you want to make notes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And combining that with the kind of eerie feel and the uniqueness of that. It's kind of X-Files. It's X-Files. It's um, kind of like True Blood, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of City of Heroes because you, you, know, you do have extra, extraordinary abilities that you're trying to figure out. Um, but definitely got an X-Files vibe. And, and, of course, it's you know HP Lovecraft too yeah so yeah there's and i don't know if you've tried it. you haven't tried it i yet. haven't tried it yet no. it's cool I, I i do like it like i say there's something about it that's keeping me interested in fact i want to play it tonight <laughs> so yeah just i can empathize with you i want to play mass effect 3 again really soon too yeah but that's it for me that's that's what i've been playing all right very good ready to get into some general geekery yeah all right now it's time for the general geekery section of this episode of Channel Massive. Would you like to go first, Mark, or would you like me to? Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- I want to get into Mass Effect 3, and my favorite time to play video games is on the weekend, because I've got podcasts and all, and work going on during the regular week. But this weekend may not be that time because I've got Dungeons and Dragons on both Saturday wow. and Sunday, probably six hours, if not more, each totally for Totally different both. campaigns and different groups, right? Totally different worlds. One wow. is, what, uh, it's a traditional Dungeons and Dragons campaign with, you know, elves and dragons and monsters and dungeons and castles, stuff like that. And that's going to be on Saturday. That's a campaign I've been playing for about six months as a human warlord. Lawful good. I'm excited about this weekend, though, because I get to play again as that thief that I played oh, as. Oh, nice. Because yeah. the girl, yet again, is not showing up. Oh, good. 
And so I'm, I'm sure gonna, that'll be good for stories. <laughs> the, there's been some questioning about whether she's going to really be dedicated and never return because now she's missed two sessions. So I'm like, well, it might just be time for her you, noble sacrifice and as part of her character redemption arc that I've begun. <laughs> can you do us a little favor and record yourself um, somehow, maybe surreptitiously? So that we can like, like especially if you're about to do something just horrible, and then we can like put it in on like the next episode. Like, I'll see what I can do. I, I definitely have an audio recorder for my trips to E3. That's really small. Yeah, that'd be really. Maybe you could just you know, you know, just have it like turned on and not really make a big deal out of it. And if they say, oh, it's for what's your name, you know, so she'll know kind of what happened. But then like. <laughs> That's a good idea. That would be so funny. To yeah, and you can hear what our group sounds like. Yeah, and I think it'd be really funny, especially just to take, when you go totally off the rails and, like, try to kill yourself or and whatever. And what their reactions are. Yeah, and they hear those shocked outrage. I yeah. think it would be hilarious. Because Daenerys is in this group. Oh, yeah, to hear Daenerys get pissed. Yeah, she, she'd probably say something like, what the fuck? Yeah, what the fuck? What <laughs> I've the definitely fuck? been told that before. Because <laughs> her character is the only neutral one, so yeah. somebody's got to do something fun with that. And what what's also cool is I wrote a really detailed, like, three or four page backstory yeah. for my characters that is not all sunshine and roses and lawful right. good. He has, like, a really dark past. And our DM, which is Daenerys' husband, is actually starting to integrate that more and more into the campaign. Oh, that's cool. So he was asking me when we were at Renaissance Festival, do I not sound like the ultimate geek? Yeah. <laughs> Last weekend when I was at the LARPing, Renaissance Festival. When you were busy <laughs> <laughs> People at work, there's one girl in particular, she brings that up. She's like, are you going to be LARPing this week? <laughs> no. <laughs> that, to her, I'm that's what LARPing. Dungeons and Dragons is. But yeah, I was at the Renaissance Festival for the third time this summer last weekend, and we were talking about planning out this upcoming session, and... I can't remember where my train of thought was going with that because you brought up LARPing. <laughs> well, yeah, but, when LARP, when you start to talk about that. Every... That kind of just takes over the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. And then on Sunday, I'm going to be playing a game of Changeling, which I've never played before. Mm-hmm. And it, there's apparently two flavors of Changeling. There's, I can't remember what the subtitle is of the original Changeling, but the second Changeling is called The Lost. The first one is about, oh, you're in the realms of the fairies, and it's pretty happy and awesome, and you're a fairy, and la la la. And then there's Changeling the Lost, where the fairies are totally psychotic and evil, and they kidnap you from your life, and they drag you through these thorns and briars into their world, totally like the true blood fairies. tearing you up. Yeah, and then they torture you, and you start yes. to take on otherworldly powers yourself just by being in that world. And uh-huh. then in this game... All that I know right now is that we've escaped from that dimension and we're going to be working for the Fae, hunting down humans and kidnapping them for the Fae. (laughs) So we're going to be particularly evil as well as psychotic. And the whole world of darkness, I'm not sure. I, I haven't played vampire or werewolf or anything, but all I played up to now is just traditional D and D. And it's like, what's your character class going to be? And I'm thinking, well, do I want to be you know, a wizard or a thief or a barbarian? All those classic archetypes that show up in our MMOs that are fantasy themed. Yeah. And that's what I'm used to in D and D. And then the DM for changeling 
writes me and that's the other thing is i haven't met any of these people and i think oh, wow. i've already pissed them off <laughs> with <laughs> some of my comments they're like who's this douchebag <laughs> right oh that's great <laughs> because they wanted to have a potluck and i'm like i don't want to do a potluck and i'm like well a potluck might test our party cohesion are you sure you want to do that uh yeah. i don't know what all your dietary needs are and all this other stuff but <laughs> we're gonna do a potluck but it's actually just we're bringing ingredients for sandwiches so it's oh, not that big of a deal anyways the dm asked me he's like well, what do you want to be and he sent me a pdf of the book to read and they don't start out with character classes like what's your background who were you as a human before you were kidnapped what was your profession and how is that going to play into what you're going to act like after you leave and how will that impact what type of powers you have why did the fae want to kidnap you in the first place and it's so much more story intensive yeah and it's it almost really never gets at all into that whole into a concept of categorization yeah I mean, you can sign up with certain courts of the Fae, whether you're in the spring or the summer or the fall or the winter court. And you can have seemings, which means are you a beast seeming, which means that part of your, like you have a moose head now or something, or you're partially transformed into an animal, or you can turn into an animal. But then there's also wizened seemings and they're tinkerers. Oh, weird. But it's it's just not really crystal yeah. clear. And it's like, I don't know even what to pick. I'm not sure. <laughs> so I'm excited because it's a lot more story focused, but this is my first one and, my, and I don't know any of these people, so it could be quite a train wreck. <laughs> wow, that'll be cool. Maybe you could record that one too. <laughs> <laughs> it's comedy gold. Yes, so we will see listeners. I, if I don't have recordings, I'll at least have some something to report. And yeah. Otherwise, I don't have too much for else to contribute to general geekery other than I'm excited because we got Dragon Con guides in the mail, yeah. like little printed booklets That'll be cool. to psych us up, which I, I'm pretty excited about that. Even though the schedule's not set, there's still a lot of information to yeah. pour through. And I finished my latest Xanth book, which was, I think, the 11th or 10th book in the series. So that's all um, I got going on. How about you? So I bought 40 Feet of Night and All. Um, what is that? So- <laughs> It's to do, like, weird little science experiments. I thought it'd be fun for my kids. So it's a memory metal. It's um, titanium nickel alloy. And um, you can... Like a slinky? Huh? It's like a slinky or a twisty? It could be. be. Right now it's just a long wire. But you can take it and you can make it into shapes, right? And then you can condition it. I think they call it annealing it or something, but... So at room temperature, it'll, it'll be... When it's all said and done, it'll be pretty easy to move around. Right now, it is like piano wire. It's real solid. So you'll be, I'll get it conditioned to where at room temperature you can, you know, shape it into anything you want, make it into a spring or whatever, and then you um, apply current to it to heat it up, or you heat it up indirectly somehow, and it snaps back into its its shape that it was conditioned for. Oh wow! That's so cool. they're starting to do stuff like there. You can get glasses frames now that are night and all so say somebody sits on your glasses or something now obviously the lenses would be hosed but you know like the the arms it'll you you heat it up and back to normal oh wow that's cool it has really cool characteristics and there's also like um there's a there's some night and all that's like multi-phase like three phase or something like that so you can actually have a shape at one temperature, a shape at another temperature, and then an in-between range where you can actually move it around. Oh, weird. So it is really freaky stuff. How do you lock it into a certain default shape? You, It's like a forging process, apparently. You get it superheated and get it into that shape you want, 
and then you rapidly cool it, and then you do that several times. Oh, with like dry ice? Uh, or water, like you can. Oh, okay. So you can, you know, uh, throw it into ice water or something like that. And so you, I, I'm just really new to it. I just saw I could order some on eBay for twenty bucks, and I did that. And so I have a bunch of stuff. I don't know exactly what I'm doing with it, but there's some really cool science experiments that I've seen with it, where you can, um, you can, you know, you can combine it with Arduino stuff and make like a little caterpillar robot that crawls around oh, with cool. it by moving its little legs. You can make a pulley system that you put in part of it in hot water, part in cold water, and it spins like crazy because part of it's trying to straighten out. And so when it's trying to do that and it's trapped on a pulley, it causes it to move. Oh, so that's so cool. So really cool stuff. So anyway, that's pretty So is this geeky. some kind of synthetic metal? It's an alloy. It's an half, alloy? Or it's, I don't know what the proportions are, but titanium and nickel combined. Wow, that's really cool. So yeah, it's cool and and it's really strong and it has like a it doesn't have a fit, joint joint fatigue type stuff like you know if you bend metal back and forth and back and forth and back and forth it eventually just snaps. Yeah. It doesn't do that. Oh weird! It's freaky stuff. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So anyway, I got that. Don't know what I'm doing with it yet. Uh, I've been reading up on Dragon Con and trying to figure out the track to do. You know, my insidious plan to infiltrate a D&D <laughs> group and totally hose it is still in in the mix, although I haven't found any D&D games on the game schedule, so I might have to schedule my own game. Oh my gosh. So that I can... <laughs> That's going to be rather suspect if yeah. you bust it. Well, if you schedule your own game, then you're going to be like, all right, everybody, we're, we're playing not... by 1.0 rules. Yeah. What if you have people show up that are 1.0 experts? Ah. Uh. Sure, I can hold my own. Then will it be like a legitimate years. session, or is it still going to be a, a punked session? Be so punked. <laughs> um, so there's that. I've been trying and trying. I've thought that going to Dragon Con would be the ideal time to have Divine Right, which is that old TSR board game I've been trying to get my hands on for years now. Um, and so I'm on this like um, mailing list or group on Yahoo for it. And I finally wrote and I said, okay, guys, I... I only am seeing these games listed on eBay for two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars for a used game, and I don't have, I can't, I can't justify that budgetarily to just spend yeah. that much money on a game. So I've seen, you know, you guys have PDFs available for the current rules that you're working on this new game that's, you know, over a year and a half beyond the release date that was supposed to. be I remember out. you've been talking about this for a long yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. So they have that. They have like this play-by-mail uh, game that they've got computerized for it. <laughs> so there's all these resources, and I'm like, well, what combination of resources could I take to actually just print out my own copy of the game and play it as an interim version until the D- the D6 or DR6 rule D- DR for Divine Right Six um, edition comes out? And so like the guy working on the DR6 thing wrote back and he goes, well. So you can't afford a used game, which I thought was kind of a snarky way to say it. And you're not interested in the, the play-by-mail game. So I guess you could take the resources from the play-by-mail game and print them out, but it's going to be really labor-intensive, you know. And so I was like... So I, so this other guy said, well, you really... You can, if you watch eBay like a hawk, find it for between 35 and 70 bucks. It's just a lot of these douchebags are listing it at super high prices. Mm-hmm. And so I've got, like, eBay all set up now to notify me the second Ooh, something comes up. Good call. And um, and then I wrote back to the snarky response, and I said, so when is that DR6 going to come out anyway? You got an update on that? 
Good for you, since <laughs> so, it's way overdue. Right back at you, you know. I really do want to pay for the game. I don't want to. Yeah. I'm not trying. I definitely don't want some homebrew version of it. Well, yeah. I, but I want to. But him play to be like, if you Con. really want it, you would buy it. Yeah, not that's at three hundred dollars for no. something that's twenty years old and most likely, you know, been chewed on by missing stuff yeah. potentially too. Yeah, you know. So I was a bit annoyed, but I'm still very optimistic that it'll someday be available. So that's what I was wondering if you were getting at was that you wanted to try to play it. I didn't even yeah. think about that concept of trying to play some tabletop games. Yeah. Genuinely with each other. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. I know I know Bob thinks that we're just gonna be running around nonstop and he might be right. It sounds like but, but he's I trying would, to plan for that. But I would like to I would love to take advantage of it and actually play a game while in there of some sort. Yeah, yeah I I'm sure we're gonna play something. I yeah. mean in the least we'll have laptops or something like that. Yeah. And... Yeah, I'm definitely gonna bring my laptop, so Yeah, so maybe um, we can play some League of Legends or, or something else. Yeah. Uh It'll, but tabletop would be really cool. It's just the if it's paper, is it going to be really heavy in your suitcase? Is it going to make yeah. your suitcase go over the weight limit? Yeah, I don't and know. I I don't know what you're thinking about this, or not, if 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 you have any th- thoughts on this, are you thinking about going to Dragon Con with like an extra piece of suitcase or luggage? <laughs> are you worried about getting things and bringing them back like maybe with this pop culturally infuses this is and all the cool comic book stuff and games do you think you're going to be buying anything that you have to take back i had not thought of that that actually happened to me at pax i ended up get a second suitcase just to get it back (laughs) yeah yeah you know if i get to that point i guess i will i've got a pretty big suitcase that i actually check i think what i'm leaning towards is Putting all my stuff into a small suitcase, but nesting it in a larger yeah. suitcase. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, so that yeah, I don't know how heavy that's going to be, of course. But yeah, if I need an extra piece of luggage, I can separate them, and then right. I can put my main stuff into the slightly larger suitcase and the acquired stuff in the small cool. one. That's a good okay. idea. I can do that too. I have two, like a match set where I could do that. Yeah, so I might do that. That's that might be our backup plan, and I'll bring a two for posters oh cool yeah that's yeah. a really good idea. i know we're gonna see lots of posters that's my my hope at least <laughs> yeah all right so we're talking about dragon con plans <laughs> they so, probably don't want to hear that nobody cares about <laughs> um so one other thing and i don't know if you've seen this um bob who's been on the show before and is going to dragon con that's right he's was, another fellow developer of yours yeah he was talking about um this google fiber service that they've launched in oh Kansas yeah City. he's reading a story about that you heard about that thing my god that's insane yeah i think the the story that i read it said cable companies you need to start wetting the bed yeah it's how they put it it's nuts i mean so it's it provides gigabit speed up and down um, they're ter- they're trying it out in Case Kansas City right now. Um, it- it's just crazy. They've got like a sign up competition to get people hooked up in neighborhoods. But when you actually get it, it comes with all kinds of cool stuff. It's got like its own TV network too, and it seems like right now they have everything sorted out except for ESPN, which I'm sure you know when they get closer they can do that. But it'll come with like a um, some kind of a droid-based pad to be used as a remote control for the TV. Nice. Um, it's going to have... I forget. There's something about... Something like... Was it two terabytes? Uh, this device will have will come with like two terabytes of storage and can record eight shows at once. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's impressive. 
which I don't know that I've ever needed more than two, but still yeah. just knowing that it's possible. Oh, yeah, here we go. Starts at 70 bucks per month for one gigabit internet access alone, up to 120 a month for one gigabit internet access, internet access as well as Google Fiber TV. The Google TV package also includes a Nexus 7 tablet that can be used as a remote control. One gig of cloud storage is also included in both packages. Um, and there's no caps or overage fees no throttling if you download too much content like all the cable companies do it's pretty nuts and that comcast it's double or triple that price for 305 megabits per second yeah connectivity but it's it's 300 a month and there's a 250 gigabyte data cap with comcast yeah which i know well about that one i'm always i have I have like this software that monitors my usage and tells me when I get close to 200 because frankly I never want to get on their crap list you know anyway I actually worried about that during the Steam sale yeah downloading all those games well and we stream a ton of video here with Netflix like at my household with the kids and stuff and yeah it's so this would this would really be a game changer in a lot of ways it could be a real equalizer in terms of freaking getting these cable companies stop ripping people off, raising prices on yeah. crap all the time. Man, it would be something else. Anyway, that's all I had for general geekery. Um, right on. I think we're ready for our final section of the show, the round table on Valve. So our roundtable discussion tonight is kind of, I don't know, Valve-centric? Yeah. Steam-centric? But we will also be talking about GameStop, used game markets in general. It all kind of ties together. Yeah, in a a strange spaghetti-like way, it all kind of makes sense. Yeah. So, first off, in a recent... uh, blog post on Computer World, um, there's a story, uh, <laughs> the title is great, Microsoft X employee Windows 8 is a catastrophe. Well, that Microsoft X employee happens to be Gabe Newell, who you may have heard about, um, <laughs> a CEO for Valve Software. And Not worth mentioning in the headline. Yeah. Just call him, a, he's an ex-Microsoft employee. <laughs> we, we all thought he was insane when Steam was being talked about initially and boy did he prove the entire world wrong with that one Uh uh-huh so now he's saying that there's a lot of stuff about windows 8 that he considers to be a catastrophe even though it's not in its final form um yeah this story summarizes what this lengthy interview that newell had over on venture beat yeah it's interesting his criticism of it seems not so much to be around like the desktop version of Windows 8, but the application of it to the, like the... The RT version? Yeah. That's going to be on the lower end version of the uh, Surface tablet? The tablet, yeah, and because everything will be distributed via a Microsoft Store. Yeah, it'll be locked down. There won't be any... Apparently, you will not be able to use any other online stores or services if you're running Windows 8 RT. Right. Um, no, I personally don't care. Because I don't 
if I were to get the Surface Tab, I'd get the one that runs everything. Exactly, I think, um, yeah. You know, because you mm-hmm. can get it, if you want a tablet that is, you know, locked down, you can get an iPad or you can get a, a Google tablet or a Kindle or whatever. But, or, you know, an Android tablet, I should say. I just, yeah. Android and Google seem synonymous to me most of the time. But um, the interesting thing about this was then he started to talk about Linux in this interview. And he just kept talking and talking to the point where the interviewer was like, is this guy the guy from Valve who worked at Microsoft? Or is this, like, the, the head of the Free Software Foundation? Because all this stuff... Well, that was really interesting to Noah and I because I think we covered it last week that Gabe had come out in a in response to a question about will there ever be um, Steam support for Linux and said yes before the end of the year, which was like a what? Because they've never, ever, ever said anything like that. Yeah. And so apparently, you know, he's seeing, he's seeing where Microsoft's headed with this as a closed system that's going to edge out people like Steam. Exactly. And he's thinking, okay, we'll... Let's put some money into making these games play on Linux and be, you know, adding a whole other platform that is, by definition, not, you know, it's it is free software, it is open source, it is not a closed system in any way, shape, or form. So it could become like the ideal platform. Although I'm not sure how they're going to pull it off. We've talked about this in the past too. You know, how do you how do you get games? to work on Linux that were never designed for Linux. You know, mm-hmm. there's all these games that, you know, the ma- of all, I've, I have something like uh, a 200 or so games for the PC, and for my Mac, 34 of them are applicable, right? So I can imagine with Linux, it's an even smaller number. So what are they going to do? Will it be through emulation? How are they going to do it? But anyway, it's just really interesting to see How it all ties together that he got into this Linux theme because he's getting fearful about Windows 8 locking out his platform. Right. I mean, surely you could still probably go to a store and buy a retail copy of the next Half-Life game or Portal game, and you can go and install it on your Windows 8 machine. But there may be some challenges, or it could be kind of Xbox 360 dashboard style where, yeah, Steam is there, but it's in a tiny square that's four screen, screen swipes to the right. Compared to win, to Windows Live, which, other than being a total train wreck in the past, and yeah. most likely in the future, it's the once-in-future train wreck, um, <laughs> <coughs> would uh, be you know prominently displayed. Yeah. Interesting how it's all starting to form a picture, if you will. Yeah, and so the way he, he, he's, he did paint with some broad strokes, yeah. Newell did saying he started out saying that how he was really helpful he was really thankful for the pc and that valve wouldn't exist without it and neither would many other major developers but then he goes on to say i think that windows 8 is kind of a catastrophe for everybody in the pc space i think that we're going to lose some of the top tier pc oems they'll exit the market i think margins are going to be destroyed for a bunch of people and i don't know it yeah. I don't think it's going to happen overnight like that. He kind of seems to imply that it is, but maybe he has a better read on things Yeah, of it's, where it's going. Well, he definitely put his time in at Microsoft, so he, he may know a few things. Yeah, it's not like he's an uninformed person just spew, spewing right. arguments. It, you, know, he, you know, he did the Steam thing when everybody said 
what the hell are you doing? There's I remember no talking need. about that with you like that. I'm like, it's cool they're making their own service, but... Why? Remember, we why were like, would why I... are you going to distribute Half-Life to the world? Yeah, that's exactly... <laughs> it. It's like, what are you going to sell in there? Half-Life yeah. and Half-Life. And uh, Half-Life and <laughs> Counter-Strike and... Check it out. They've made, like, the coolest online store available out of yeah, all the different options. it really is. I certainly am a big fan of it, and that actually does tie into something that we were also talking about during the last couple episodes, Yeah, is our infatuation with the <clears throat> annual Steam Summer Sale. The Summer Sale is a is a, is a a thing of to fear. And it have The thing is, is like a lot of people call that, it's like it's this once a year sale, but the same thing happens again around Christmas. Yeah. They do it twice a year. Yeah, they do. Which I, I think is great. Yeah, because it always, <laughs> I always find wonderful things. My digital library keeps growing. The worst part, though, for, for, for me... Mark is when I've purchased some like the THQ pack or the Telltale oh, pack, yeah. and then there's a new one, and the new games have come out that it's like, well, do I want to spend this amount of price on it, or do I want to repurchase the pack? I don't know. Yeah, I did that this time around. It was one of the one of the bundles, which was like a fifty dollar bundle, but had a ton of stuff, and I can't remember which mm-hmm. one it was. It wasn't the Assassin's Creed one. It was stuff I had probably 50% of it, but it was still cheaper if I did the bundle <laughs> than to buy the stuff, you know, individually, even though it was on yep. sale. And so I bought it, and it, like, warned me. It's like, you already own, like, you know, four titles of the eight. Are you sure you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure I want to do it. It's economically more viable. It's better, right? yeah. The sale can't be beat. And so we covered, I think, last week or the week before that there was a bunch of angst among from Electronic Arts and Origin. Yeah, it's Origin specifically, like, who have competing services that suck. Yeah, and saying, um, like, I hate their sales. They devalue the IP and yeah, they're, just you, cheapen the industry. Yeah, that's right. That was their big thing, is they're devaluing the titles. Mm-hmm. And we countered with, you know, unknowing. We didn't know the facts and figures that we're going to present next, but we were like, it exposes an, an audience, a much broader yeah. audience than the developer would normally have to the, what their game is and sets them up to purchase the sequel at the legitimate you know, price when it launches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And other titles that they may come out with. Yeah, um, and I think, was it Scott was with us when we were talking yeah. about this? I think it was him. It might have been you. I apologize if I can't remember which of you. Well, if it was really insightful, it was not me. <laughs> well, I, I think it was him that said that there are titles, and this is actually emphasizing the story we're going to get into, that have been out for like two or three years that in the retail world would have been forgotten long ago. But thanks to these sales, all of a sudden become relevant again. Yeah. Games that you forgot that you were interested in, kind of, but then it was too late. Absolutely, and, yeah. And now you can get it five years later if you're still interested, or two, or even just two yeah. years later for half the price or a third of the price. Yeah. I know I've done that with, and so like rejuvenates the markets. It really does. Classic games, and so um, on Gamma Sutra, Tom Curtis has an article talking about um, some interviews with some developers who have been taking advantage of the Steam Summer Sale and their take on it. Um, Runic Game CEO Max Schaefer tells us that uh, it's been almost three years since the studio launched Torchlight. Their promotions, the Steam promotions, have helped the game maintain healthy sales to this very day. I do not know why I can't talk tonight. Um, (laughs) I can't read and talk, yeah. Usually I have a a nice buffer of rum and coke in between my (laughs) my brain and my mouth, but uh, 
Anyway, um, we find, and get this, we find that we get several thousand percent increases in units and revenue <laughs> on the days of the steam sales, and unit sales are usually about double the normal for a few days after the sales are over, he says. Several thousand percent increases in unit sales. Mm -hmm. And so when you get into some of the numbers here, it's really interesting. So this year's summer sale, which ended July 22nd, was particularly noteworthy for Runic as it helped Torchlight hit its second biggest day ever in terms of overall unit sales. Not bad for a game that came out in October 2009. And some of the other numbers that we saw, such as, I think, Bastion, um, they did well... Um, our fifth best day of sales ever on Steam was due to the power of the promotions and the that they've had the opportunity to participate in. Also, Super Meat Boy co-creator Edmund McMillan was talking about um, something that Eric was, was just going crazy for, the Binding of Isaac, a 2D dungeon crawler. And um, they saw sale sales multiply by five when it was marked down by 50%, and once it hit the front pages as a temporary flash deal for 75% off, sales multiplied by 60. <laughs> so, 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 when you say it's devaluing the game, well, the developers are making money, a lot of money, so mm -hmm. while the game's not listed at the price it was originally purchased, they still are making 15 times more money than they would have made without doing this promotion. Mm -hmm. Plus, who knows what's going to happen with subsequent sales or you know add-ons yeah. or yeah. I mean, DLC. Because then that game does have a DLC. Yeah, get, the, get them into the game cheap, and then the DLC can be normal-priced, and you can make a bundle. Um, so, yeah, and apparently everybody else that... Valve's director of business development, Jason Holtman, said that plenty of developers have seen their sales increase exponentially, giving them a very healthy boost in revenue. It is not uncommon for our partners to see 10 to 20 times revenue increase on games they run as a daily deal. Sometimes titles really take off and see as much as 70 to 80 times increase in revenue. In revenue? In revenue. So, <laughs> yeah, it's apparently a model that's working. Yeah, and that just goes to justify something that we were talking about last week, that if it wasn't working, it would have stopped years ago. We wouldn't have yeah. seen... We'd see a lot fewer games being marked down. If it wasn't in the best interest of the developers, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be happening. Exactly. And it definitely cuts out the middleman on distribution in a big way. So the money really goes to the people making the game. Yeah. And not through a series of, you know, distribution points or whatever. Um, so along with this, as we said, these articles all tie together. You must figure. Yeah, out this even ties back to the whole Android-free app right. story we talked about earlier. Yeah. So um, GameStop is apparently looking into reselling digital content. Yeah, that was so weird when I read that headline. Like, what? So yeah. So wrap your mind around that. We've mentioned this in the past as a concept. Like, why doesn't Steam let me? resell my digital game and I'm tired of it. Mm -hmm. It would it would be kinda cool. You know, you could you could, you know, make some money. Yeah. I imagine it would have to be sold at some percentage of the lowest sales price it was ever available uh, yeah. for in the store. Yeah. But um anyway, looks like GameStop's looking into this too. GameStop's doing very well with their business of selling new and used games and they're continuing to work with this model and see what they can do to expand. Um, 
So their CEO, Paul Raines, says of this, It's very interesting. There are some technologies out there in Europe, and we're look we've looked at a couple that are involved. We're interested. It's not a meaningful business yet. Right now, we're not seeing that as a huge market. But I think we're on the leading edge. There are a few companies, a few startups out there that we've talked to that are doing this. And um, he declined on identifying the outlets that are doing it, but... Uh, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to disclose anything and have our competitors rushing in. But it's really interesting to think about what that would mean. Um, their GameStop's boxed secondhand game business is a major unit for the company. For fiscal 2011, GameStop recorded 2.62 billion in revenue from this sector, 27.4 percent of its total revenues. Mm -hmm. So if you could apply that to digital. And I imagine to make this work, they'd have to just do digital distribution in general, mm -hmm. because it would—it's not like you could redistribute something downloaded from Valve or EA or Origin or something like that. But so, how do you think it would work? Is it basically you're strictly purchasing a license and then yeah. you're transferring the sale of that license <clears throat> secondhand? Yeah. yeah. So, and and you know, actually, GameStop has to pursue this because ultimately retail games are going to go out uh, physical retail games are going to be gone it's going to be all digital yeah. in the future so they have to prepare themselves to say how can we still acquire copies of games that we didn't actually order from the publishers and turn around and resell them at a massive profit right since that's what their business is founded on right now well yeah and it's fairly synergistic with their current model of selling new and used games too because they'll have to be yeah. digital distribu distributors of new games as well. Exactly. Competing so, head to head with Steam, I would imagine. Yeah, that's that's your I think you're exactly right. They would either need to have partnerships, which would probably be really complicated and messy, and maybe lead to exclusives like, well, we can give you EA games because we have a partnership with them, but we can't give you Valve games because we don't have a partnership <laughs> with them. That would be weird. They're arch rivals. But if they were selling you licenses it's kind of a weird concept to think, because I remember how you were upset when you got Hellgate. Oh, yeah. And the EA terms were like, you you've purchased a license of this game. Yeah. And you can only have three copies of it ever, and if you exceed that, then too bad you have to buy yeah. another copy of the game. You can only download it three times, but the way the download, as I recall, worked, it wasn't like I could download it the one time and store it away somewhere. Nope. It was really a weird system, so I had to actually... If I wanted to have it installed on my computer, I had to download it. Now, yeah. five years later, you would hope I'd have gone through a couple more iterations of hardware, and I'd have to do that yeah. again, and then I'd run out. Exactly. Fortunately, Hellgate home. London sucked so hard that I'll never really stay up at night worrying about it, but <laughs> get the drift, you know. But that could be... What I really like about Valve and good old games and stuff like that is that oh, yeah, it gives us games. a way to purchase games that we've lost or we don't have the media for them anymore or we never got them in the first place and we've always wanted to or maybe it was on a system that we no longer own but the idea of like there being some kind of time sensitive nature to it or number of copies of nature to it that's not appealing what i liked about it was like wow i have this game forever and i can install it on my pc i can install it on my laptop i can install it on right. the next pc i get in the future or if i if you know, I get an Apple for some reason, and there's it's cross-compatible. I can just load up Steam on the Apple, and I can play it on that. I loved that idea, but 
limitations on the license seem like they would have to go hand in hand with this kind of model. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. Or you just say, all right, I formally relinquish my rights to this license in exchange for half the value of what I paid in credit or something. Yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe they would switch over to points or something horrific. You know, I don't know. Because, uh, you know, you. I don't know that it would ever... They wouldn't give you a I cash value, it would be a credit. Cash value, yeah. It'd have to be like in-store credit or a point system, which would be sad. But maybe not. I don't know. These guys these guys at GameStop and um, Valve have managed to come up with really good ways to make money and to, you know... The thing about the difference being Valve, their their method of making money actually goes directly back to the developers Whereas GameStop, you know, the big complaint is that, you know, it's more for the consumer. Exactly. Um, not, and it's more be, for GameStop. Yeah, and it's more for GameStop. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what what happens or what comes of it. But uh, In the short term, they, they have a, an amusing uh, justification for their sale of used games. That is GameSpot or GameStop <laughs> does. I do that all the time. <laughs> saying that the sale of used games is not harmful to new game sales. It helps. It's helping. Because in the view of GameStop GameStop president Tony Bartell, he's like, hey, when people come and trade in games, we give them a 17% bonus or credit toward the purchase of new games. Right. And so he's like, hey, you know, we, we encourage people to trade in their games with the trade-in bonus if they put it towards a new game, and we give them cash that has a higher, or we give them higher value if they turn around and spend a new game. So in a way, while we're sucking a majority of the blood <laughs> out of this right. animal, a chunk of it goes towards new games. But, and we're, we're incentivizing people essentially to go out there and buy new games with these kind of perks. It's a nice way of spinning it. I don't know if I buy it. Yeah. Because I would still think that if there were four copies of a game at GameStop and how many of them would sell if three of them were new and one were used or one of them was new and three were used and they had the corresponding price differentials, I think more would sell that were used than new. Well, the people that we know that you know, use GameStop almost exclusively to get their games. Being like Jason, for instance. Yeah. He would never buy a new title. He just waits. He's patient. Yeah, you don't have to wait and a long time. The way to work the system, yeah, you don't wait too long, but you never buy anything new. And mm-hmm. you, you know, you trade three things in and you get one or two new ones. And yeah. It's a pretty good way to go. He doesn't have to inject money into that system very often. Or if he does, it's at such a small uh, you know, amount each time he does it that he doesn't even feel it, really. Yeah. You know, it's like the cost of a cheeseburger. So, yeah, it works pretty well. It does not really help the developers, but no, they did get paid the first time they sold the game. So, Yeah, and that's what's kind of interesting going back to Valve and its sale is that on Steam... Is that what what has been cool according to the Gama Sutra article that we started out this whole roundtable with? Is that developers have noted that there's not a quote unquote race to the bottom, basically dropping the price until it's free. Yeah. 
the developers can still bounce back from those sale prices and continue to sell. Right, right. Fine. Or they can continue to make at least a decent amount of price, a decent value, even at a lower price. They're, they're still making revenue. And from that perspective, that's something that I really like about Steam is that it's kind of ideal, if not idyllic right now. It's like a really perfect ecosystem yeah. for gamers, consumers, developers, and publishers alike. Yeah, I don't see anyone getting screwed despite you know articles in the past where people have thought maybe they were. But yeah. in, in all worlds, it's, it's perfect because licenses are non-transferable, but you get it at a decent price. So yeah. the consumer wins, the developer wins, Valve wins, and, you know... Steam mm-hmm. is a product of Valve, who is a development company first and foremost. So, you know, it seems like they're protecting their own, too. So for as cool as all that is, would you get Steam on Linux? I don't know. I don't... I mean, Windows 7 is such a good operating system, you know? I mean, yeah. it really just mm-hmm. works well. And, um, you know, Mac OS works well, too. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know that, and I'm. I love Linux as a server. I mean, I've been being. A, I've been like a Unix admin for twenty some years or whatever. I, I just don't know that I need that to play games with. Mm-hmm. And now, if Windows Eight becomes the total lockdown monstrosity lockdown mode, and Newell you know, says, they, and if Windows Nine is the same way, so that you know by then, you know, Windows Seven is so antiquated that no drivers are working for it for the new peripherals and and video cards and you're forced into that selection mm-hmm. then at that point in time i might change my tune and be like you know i'm all about this um linux version and you know by then you would imagine it'd be robust enough to to work yeah so i i don't know it, it's 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 interesting you know he has to defend his platform mm-hmm. and that's definitely a threat you know at least for those limited versions yeah, but if it's the if it's the if it's a herald of a future to come where everything goes through the Microsoft Live Store, I hated Microsoft Live. It, mm-hmm. it, I mean, I know I know Xbox Live is the same thing but better, but it's still just it was horrible. Yeah, on Xbox Live, has definitely degraded yeah. as it's become as it's pimped itself more out to connect and commercials. Yeah, and the, it's. It's horrible to navigate around in there right now. So, anyway, interesting stuff, and I think you know it's funny. The, these these topics keep coming up, so it's a big deal. I mean, it's money. It's money to the developers, money to the consumers, and it's gonna it's gonna stay a yeah. big topic. So, looking forward to seeing what other details emerge in the days to come. Yes, definitely. Well, I think that wraps us up for tonight. Yes, it does. Listeners, let us know what your opinion is on all these Valve and Steam developments. Would you get Steam on Linux? Do you think that GameStop can remain relevant in an all-digital world? Or any of the other things we've talked about. Do you have any experiences with Changeling? (laughs) (laughs) Or D&D to tell us about? Or suggestions for Dragon Con? We like all that stuff. Send them in to mail. M-A-I-L at channelmaster.com. Thank you for downloading our show. Give us a review over on iTunes. We appreciate you subscribing to us and we will be back next week.